0: Welcome to Help From Future Self.
1: Hey, what's up, Archons? This is Help From Future Self, a casual KeyForge discussion podcast. My name is Alex. And I'm Blake. I'm Rick. And yeah, this is our debut episode. Um, this is something where the three of us have been talking about it for a little while as a thing that we wanted to do, uh, mainly because we're all big fans of the game KeyForge, Forge. Uh, it's something that we've been playing here in our home city of Vancouver for quite some time now, basically since the game came out and as uh, something that we all, you know, spend a lot of time on and between meeting up at different stores around the city in order for us to find games to play, both casual and competitive, you know, we sort of had a lot of conversations about KeyForge, and at a certain point we thought it'd be really fun for us to do this, you know, a- as a podcast. So... Um, We thought we'd start off by introducing ourselves a little bit. So as I mentioned, my name is Alex. Um, I have been a Keyforge player since uh, fall of last year, around the time the game was released. And uh, at that time, I had not played a card game in well over two decades. I quit Magic in the late 90s, and uh, I never looked back, really. It was a thing that I was never interested in getting back into. But like many people who played a game like Magic, um, I had the occasional like sort of itch that I couldn't scratch with other board games, which I really do enjoy, or with video games, once again, which I do enjoy. And so when I first heard Tell of KeyForge, it sounded very promising to me because it took away a lot of the things that I didn't like about Magic, namely um, the deeply entrenched uh, uh, sort of competitive scene and the difficulty of getting caught up with all of the years and years and years of, of cards that had come out, and also with sort of... um aspects of the game as it originally appealed to me that is the surprise that came with uh you know seeing cards for the very first time so that was really my introduction to keyforge and uh we're in a very special and exciting time for that right now because we're just on the verge of the release of the new set so i'm very excited about that as i know you guys are too uh blake why don't you uh introduce yourself to the folks what's your background
0: So uh, my background is uh, Magic as well. Uh, I actually started playing Magic in the Tempest block and I was oh about 10 or 12, I believe, at the time. And uh, since then, I have now really only played Commander with uh, some friends and I participate in uh, sealed events and drafts just more for the social aspect at the game store. I always frequent just to keep connections with those people I've come to know. Um, I kind of moved away and went into Pokemon more recently And uh, I did more competitive things, but not super competitive, just doing, uh, you know, League Cups and things like that. And I finished like, uh, I think I got a top four on my third ever tournament. And uh, I really enjoyed playing the game more so than Magic, just the, the way the gameplay was. But again, it came to this big issue, which I have with both games, which is the whole net deck scene and people just copying what currently exists and is the best and just piloting that to the best of their ability. Uh, And it was actually through the Wasi uh, YouTube channel talking about, uh, it was actually a podcast and YouTube talking about um, Pokemon. And he mentioned how much he loved Keyforge, that I actually found out about this game. So I'm definitely the the noob to the game out of the three of us. I've only been playing for about a month and a half now, but uh, I absolutely adore it and uh, have gotten really involved.
1: That's really cool. So would you say that the the fact that there's no such thing as net decking, uh, so to speak,
0: yeah, definitely. It's because like I, I love doing Draft and Sealed because you're essentially opening something up, making the most you can of what's available. And uh, some pools are better than others, but essentially everyone is on an even playing field where they they cannot choose what's in there. And that was my favorite part about Magic. Uh, Pokemon does not have that, unfortunately, but that's the great thing about Magic for me. And then when this came along, and it's literally that concept, but everyone is in the same thing where you cannot change anything and you can just get a unique Deck and find a way to make it work, uh, just through repetition and uh, an understanding of the card interactions. I find it uh, really interesting.
1: All right, and Rick, the person who I have played the most games of KeyForge with, uh, yes. I think of anybody else. You and I are are, are mortal enemies, but also good pals. What's your yes. background with games?
2: I uh, started out really young as a Milborn player. Apparently, not a lot of people around these days know that game but anyways i took some years off and then i started playing key uh started playing magic in m10 which is 2009 but i collected for a few years before that and then i was at my game store just looking around and i found Keyforge stuff po- po- posted up and i'm like hey this looks good there's no deck building i like it let's do it and i've been playing ever since Really cool. So one of the things that we thought we would do,
1: as we mentioned, it's not long before the Age of Ascension is upon us. In fact, we're recording this, I think, just about a week out from the release of the new set, is we wanted to talk a little bit about some cards that were exciting us from the new set, some of the spoiled cards. And so we each picked out a couple of them, and we're going to talk about them right now. So, Rick, you went last on the intro, so why don't you go first here on the cards you want to talk about. You are a huge Untamed player um, and I turn. know it's your favorite house. So w- what's, uh, what's appealing to you about some of the spoiled untamed cards? What have you seen that's got you excited?
2: Well, I noticed that Hunting Witch won't be in the new set, and I'm a little bit disappointed in that. But there are two new cards that are, I call them twins, but I don't really know, Penpaka Anga and Pakpaka Jaga. The Anga, which from what I've seen, it would go on the left flank, and it gives all creatures to the right of it to power. Jenga, Jenga, on the other hand, would be best suited on the right flank, and it gives everything to the left of it skirmish, which means when you start the fight, you take no damage back. And the combined, it it seems unstoppable to me.
1: So here's a fun fact about those cards. Apparently, they are a tribute to Richard Garfield's twins, his twin sons.
2: I heard that too. I actually, now that you mentioned it, remember hearing that. It's
1: pretty cool. So, do you think that that sort of suits your play style? Is that a thing that you see that you'll get a lot of utility out of uh, in the style that you like to play, Keyforge?
2: It it takes me back to my Magic days playing White Weenie and all the one plus one plus one boosts that they used to get. So yeah, I would say it's def- definitely in one of my wheelhouses. Wicked, Blake. What has got you excited about the Age of Ascension?
0: Well, uh, I was a little bit eager and I actually have three cards Oh, uh, okay. because uh, there's just a synergy between the three. So I thought it'd be interesting to talk about them, uh, all of them together. So I'm going to talk about the first two. Uh, They're oddly enough by the same artist uh, named Natalie Russo. And you can find her on Instagram to see her art. She's actually done a bunch of art in this new set and it's just gorgeous. And uh, art wise, this is my favorite art I've seen in the new set and it's called Archimedes. And it's from Logos. It's got two power, no shield. Uh, and it's an elusive creature, and it states that each neighbor gains destroyed archive this creature. Um, so it's uh, really, really cool. It's almost like a uh, a sort of biomatrix backup, but in Logos. And it saves two things on either side, which is really cool. And it's uh, a cool way you can actually plan future turns. Uh, I think if you have some things that you're like, okay, I'm going to play these now and I can get them in my archives and save them for later. So I find that a really interesting aspect. Uh, And then the next card also artwork by Natalie Russo is called a helper bot. And it says, uh, play, you may play one non logos card. So it's essentially a phase shift, but in a creature format. Uh, And it's a body that can reap afterwards. And then it also has that synergy with Archimedes because uh, it can then go into your archives when it's destroyed and then you get to use it again later. So I think that's kind of an interesting uh, aspect. It does only have one power, so uh, it's going to definitely potentially be a target uh, or be purged, I imagine, as well, so that it cannot be reused again. Uh, And then the last Logos card I have is called uh, Igor, and it's a two power, no shield as well. And it says, play, look at the top three cards of your library, add one and discard the others. Uh, I can see this just being really powerful for late game digging. Uh, You're going to get to see more cards. And then potentially, if you have your back against the wall or trying to close out a game, you have a higher chance of getting what you need to achieve that. And again, this is something else that with Archimedes, it's going to be destroyed, go into your archives. So both uh, things that you can put on either side in Logos uh, with Archimedes and have extra play value later. So I find that really interesting.
1: So same question I asked, Rick, do you think that's something that would complement your play style as a Key Forge player?
0: Yeah, definitely. I, I do. I do like the I'm kind of in the stage right now where I'm, I'm really trying to just dump my hand and and get through my deck fast and churn through things a lot. So I feel like something like this where, you know, you're, you're thinking, oh, you know what? I, I really want to save this card for late game like the Igor, for example, example, or even a helper bot playing a non logos card. Uh, maybe you don't have anything great that's that's out of house, but you know this way you're actually getting an extra card out of your hand. Uh, by having it next to something like an Archimedes, that just gives me the ability to go see more cards as well as uh, keep something around for later. And that's something that I've found I'm gravitating towards more now, um, especially uh, I'm kind of a big Mars guy. So um, And I wasn't originally. I, this is more of a new development for me. I just found that Mars, as I play with it, I enjoy the kind of discovery of the interaction because I find with Mars, it's a little bit more complicated than some of the other houses. And so it's not my favorite house, but it's becoming my favorite house to play.
1: I definitely think Mars is one of those houses where it is so dependent on having just the right cards in the deck. And I've seen Mars decks and played against Mars decks that have just been absolute beasts And I've owned Mars decks and played Mars decks where I was like, I don't understand how to make this work at all. And so as with everything in KeyForge, you know, luck of the draw, how well is the algorithm smiling on you that day? But it is going to be super interesting to see what they do in the Age of Ascension because some of the Mars spoiled cards that we've seen have just been absolute monsters. Stuff that I don't understand how we're going to get around it.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, I mean, I've been seeing a few leaks popping up here and there on Instagram, especially on the Italian side of things. A lot of the people I follow from from Italy, having Keyforge stuff, they've been sent early stuff. And I'm seeing cards that I haven't seen any pictures of, and I don't really know what it says. So I imagine we're going to see some uh, interesting interesting things come out of the woodwork with that.
2: Definitely. I, I would agree with that as well. And just a uh, quick aside to your Mars comments there, Alex. It just brings back to my, to my memory, the, the, our, our casual night where key abduction twice in a row to the (laughs) win. That's when I started liking Mars a little bit more. Yeah,
1: no, sometimes, uh, you know, it doesn't click until it clicks and then it clicks real good. Yeah. Which is one of the, the the great things about this game. Um, totally. Speaking of recent developments, just this very day, the day we're recording uh, Fantasy Flight Games, dropped some new information. They've been putting up these great articles where they show off some of the cards from the new set, um, to hype people up for it, and uh, they dropped the Untamed and Shadows combo today. I was a little disappointed because the Untamed cards that they chose to include in this uh, news update on the website are all cards we've seen before. Literally every single one of them had been spoiled, either on the game streams or elsewhere.
0: Probably but the not Shadows by accident.
1: Ones, yeah, but there was a ton of new Shadows stuff, and that really uh, was pretty exciting, especially because two cards that I thought Genuinely, uh, are gonna present interesting new quests with Shadows play. Now, I don't know if you guys have noticed this, but a lot of what we've seen from Shadows has been kind of more of the same and maybe a little bit tempered. So, some of the Mars, or sorry, Shadows spoiled cards that we've seen have really felt like, okay, this is just kind of like switching around the way that you know a previous Shadows card works. For example, life for a life is the same thing as pawn sacrifice, except it does six damage instead of two three damage uh you know to two separate creatures so seeing two cards that i think feel really different is really cool uh the first one is brend the fanatic did you guys see this guy i I did not all right so here's brend the fanatic's deal he's three power he has skirmish when you play him your opponent gains one if he's destroyed you steal three So he's got skirmish, which means you can't just run him into another big creature to get rid of him and do the steal three. But with cards going around like life for a life, you can get rid of him that way. Um, And also, like, he's just a three with skirmish, which could be good utility. Obviously, giving your opponent an amber when he gets played isn't the most ideal, but you can get a lot out of it if you can figure out ways to get some value out of him. And then a couple turns later, do the big steal to get everything back. Plus,
0: only problem is if if they uh, if they have some return to hand. Uh, mechanics going on it could be like a like true Baru from the first set where you can actually get hosed by uh someone just using that board control to return it to your hand and then you're having to play it again and give them another ember so yeah yeah
1: yeah you'll have to definitely watch out for that when you're playing brend but i do think he's going to present some interesting challenges
0: so do i i think it's going to be a really great card for the the shadows lineup and and one thing i've kind of noticed is uh like you were saying they, they've they spoiled stuff that we kind of have seen and. And that you're seeing things that have already kind of, we already have that like for like, and it's just a new variation of that. I, I wouldn't be surprised if those were spoiled because they don't want to really give the goods too soon. But by showing something that's new, but at the same time not, it's kind of satisfying two elements that they're probably looking to uh, to achieve with uh, the anticipation and building a new set.
2: They're trying to find and walk
1: that very fine line. Get people excited, but not give away all the goods. Yeah, yep. exactly. Now, here's one that I'm super excited about because one of the things that we're all familiar with is Keyforge. Some cards are so situational Mm -hmm. that they can be a dead card when you pull them a lot of the time. Yep. So when I see a card like Dusk Chronicles, I get really excited because there is never going to be a bad time to play this card. Here's how it works. You play it, you get a pip of amber right off the bat, so it's always good for one. If your opponent has more Amber than you, draw a card. If you have more Amber than your opponent, archive a card.
2: That's going to definitely be interesting.
1: Yeah, so either you get to put something away for future use and then get to draw another card uh, at the end of your turn, or you just literally get to draw a card that you might be able to play right away. There is never going to be a bad time to play Dusk Chronicles. Um, I've read a couple of articles where people have talked about the application of uh, what they call quadrant theory to Keyforge. Forge. Um, the idea being that, you know, there are different areas in which uh, you use to judge whether a card is good. If you're ahead, you know, a card is good. If you're behind, a card can be good. If, you know, there's different situations, different quadrants, if you will. And this one works regardless of what situation you're in. If you're ahead, you get something. If you're behind, you get something. And no matter what, you get a pip of amber. So that's an interesting one to me because it presents differences in the ways that the card can be played and used. It's got flexibility. And I think that's really neat.
0: Yeah, I agree. That's awesome.
1: So let me ask you guys a couple questions about the Age of Ascension uh, because I'm super excited about it. Rick, in an ideal scenario for the Age of Ascension... Would you rather get your first Age of Ascension deck and get a couple of days to really familiarize yourself with it before you come to the table, or would you be more excited to literally open up a deck and play right away?
2: Uh, this might be a little bit of a weird answer, but it's dependent on the, the makeup of the deck, I would say. If if I look at the Ar- the Archon card and I see a really good tame, Untamed suite, I want to open it and play it right now want I want to make that untamed work
1: so if you open up that first deck you see untamed you're like let's go let's do it right now
2: yep
0: yeah for for me I think I'd be more interested in just like jamming right away I just like seeing the the discovery um, yep. looking at cards and, and and just kind of being like oh wow like this with that is gonna do this oh that's really interesting and just kind of that aha moment when you realize that these two cards have an interaction that uh, you are now just discovering, which, I mean, for me, since I've only been playing for a month and a half, I still I still have those moments right now with the Call of the Archons. But with this, it's just going to be that whole new discovery again. And I think that's my favorite part of the game is when you have those, uh, as I've heard coined before, those level up moments when you realize yeah. that certain things can do other things than you originally realized. And it's one of those things that a new deck will, will achieve that. And as, as well, just playing multiple reps with a deck you already have.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, definitely And I think for, for me I've learned because of my Mistakes in Call of the Archons I'm gonna be Very stingy on what I buy This time So I don't end up with 60 decks <laughs> <laughs> I think that uh, you know Blake
1: may be less than, than you or I uh, Rick but uh, We both sort of went overboard Because and you know what one of the things that I was sold on this game from at the beginning was, oh, you don't need to spend a lot of money on it. You can just buy a deck and play. And that's true. But what I didn't take into account is how much fun it is to open and play new decks. And so obviously that just turns into, well, I'm at the store, might as well buy a deck. Well, it's the casual night. Why don't I buy a deck to play? Oh, you guys want to play sealed? Yeah, that sounds rad. Let's buy a deck. And so, Having all of these decks, some of which I will never play again, yeah. like not even in reversal because they're not bad, they're just not exciting to me. I, 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 I'm like you. I mean, you're the same boat as you, Rick. I want to make sure that you know I invest my money wisely. Yes, but also you know finding that balance between like I don't want to become bored, and if I see like a cool card that somebody else has in their Age of Ascension deck, obviously I'm going to want to try it out for myself. Yeah. So finding that that middle ground on it, I think, is going to be important.
0: We just need to get our our local game stores holding more sealed events because then it's got more of a purpose behind it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That is my absolute preferred format. I I would play sealed over like my own decks almost any time given the opportunity. But also I understand that that's like kind of a money intensive format for folks. And on top of that, you know, I do kind of like playing the decks that I own and am familiar with. But uh, sealed just has like a certain magic to it that is really special
0: totally and i think the 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 issue is that for us it's not like there is a sealed event every week it's and we're and we're going to three different stores currently yep. probably soon to be only two but i mean we're only seeing once a month a sealed so i mean if we could do it twice a month even like double that i think uh that would be awesome so
1: I mean, Sealed is a total win for most game store owners because not only do they get to charge you a little bit of money for the use of the space, they literally get to sell you a deck. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, if you get 10 guys and gals in and, uh, you know, it's it's uh, 15 to 20 bucks Canadian, that's way better than, you know anything else and that allows for things like price support and you know it gets people coming back. And I I'll also say this one of the things that I think is really great about Keyforge is the emphasis on sort of the, the, the randomness in play means that even if you are a player who is not super experienced, you have the opportunity to walk into a group of people who've been playing the game for an extended period of time and still rock it.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. Yep. We, we've had that, uh, experience over at our store, but
0: then we don't see them again for a while. All right, dudes. One thing I want to add a segment, I think that's going to be fun. And, uh, it's going to be dubbed help from, from, future, from future self. And it's kind of, wh- what did you learn from a gameplay past casual in the past chain bound? And, uh, this week I'll just lead off with one since I kind of had this epiphany about it. Um, and it was, uh, When I was playing against uh, our good friend, Ryan, who comes to our casual night, we finished off the night um, playing a great game. Oh, that one, yeah. Yeah, it ended up, he has a double time traveler deck with three mothers. And it was a real grindy back and forth game. And I was playing with my first deck I ever opened. And uh, I had, we both had discs as well. And we got to this point where we were going back and forth, uh, forging one after the other, but we both had our lash out. And uh, what happened was, is we got to a situation where we were lashing each other to stop each other from forging. And unfortunately, that created a game state where we could no longer progress because we didn't have discs in our hand and we couldn't not use the lash because as soon as we passed on that, the other person won. So it was this interesting point where I realized we got to a stalemate game state. And I started looking back at where did I go wrong to get to this point? And And sometimes you start playing this conservative game instead of being more aggressive. Yeah. And I and I noticed that at times that can be where you lose the position in the game because you're allowing that person to get that one up. So uh, there was a moment when I knew the lash was an issue and I had a, rel- a whispering relinquiry where I could return an artifact to hand. And there was a moment where I said to myself, I should I should maybe get that lash back because then it'll give me advantage. And I didn't do it. And I ended up going with uh, a steel effect or something like that. And I should have gone with that other play to get the threat off the board yep. that I knew was there. And I didn't do it. And then it ended up just putting the game in a stalemate, which the first time I did that. So it, w- it was interesting. Sometimes you get those moments. And obviously, if you have a, a help from your future self, you got that hindsight 2020. But um, it, I'd never been in a stalemate game before where we literally just had to be like, we can't do anything. We got to call it. So that was kind of interesting for me. I don't know if you guys have had some experience uh, similarly.
2: I actually haven't. Um, I've been in some what I thought was stalemate situations, but then my opponent was like, well, you could do this, this and this. And I'm like, oh yeah. And then I started seeing more things, but uh, just like the game that, that we had last week, you were, you were helping me figure out what my most, my best plays would be to deal with your side of the board and get the Amber that I needed to win.
0: And I think that's, that's actually an important part when you, when people are playing casual, um, sometimes taking, taking a beat to, to let each other see the best possible play that is, can be made mm-hmm. and even rewinding and allowing it to happen. So you may end up losing the game, but, uh, I feel like it, when you're doing casual, the learning process is the, uh, the most important aspect of that, because understanding how to pilot your deck when you get into a competitive situation yeah. at the optimal level is, is definitely what you want to be aiming for. Mm-hmm. Um, How about you, uh, Alex? Have you had any experiences like that?
1: Um, I have had some experiences like that. Um, I'll tell you one of the primary ones, uh, which was, and this one's a little more general, um, but it it was an experience I had when I was in Seattle during the first uh, Vault Tour event event. That was happening down there as part of the Emerald City Comic Con. I had a friend who was uh, doing a show down there, and uh, we were at the con. and I was like, "Well, I'll go and I'll play in the main event of the uh, Vault Tour. That'll be fun as a Keyforge player. I don't expect that, you know, there's going to be some serious competition, and I won't get that far." But uh, we were given the sort of the the three decks to choose from, and so you know, you you get three decks sealed. And you have to figure out, of those three decks, which one you want to pick. And so I was looking at them, and one of them I looked at and I was like, oh, it's got Dis and Shadows. This has got to be the one. It's got all, like, the good Steel cards. It's got Bait and Switch. It's got, you know, uh, Too Much to Protect. And on the Diss side, it's got the Lash. It's got everything else. Like, there's no way that I couldn't pick it. And then you know, a couple of other cards that had houses that I like a little bit better, you know, some Sanctum, a little bit of Untamed with some really good burst potential. But I went with the one that the meta said I should. And that was a poor idea. Not necessarily because I know I would have done better going with the cards that I liked better and the houses that I liked better. But because I when I was playing against my own playstyle, doing what the meta says you should do, I didn't feel natural doing it. I couldn't get into a rhythm. And especially in a sealed scenario, it just felt wrong. And I got stomped. I got stomped right out of the tournament. And it was a good deck. But if I had gone more with the deck that I've since played a ton of, um, I think I probably would have done a little bit better and probably had more fun. So I guess the, the, the big level up realization I had in that moment was don't let the meta dictate the way you play play what feels good and natural to you and you'll probably do a little bit better with it
0: I like that yeah I I I definitely agree with with that sometimes uh looking there's way too much in card games The talk of the meta and sometimes you just need to do you and you're going to have a better experience overall because you're not trying to force something that's not a natural play style for you and you're also going to be doing something that you have fun doing. So at the end of the day, this is a game that we we play to have fun. Like, sure, winning is part of the fun, but it's, you don't play this because, oh, I, I need to be the most optimal way. Like, there is a there is a degree when you got into this because you're having fun doing it. And sometimes I feel like that can be forgotten as you progress within the game. Oh, definitely. Actually,
2: the thing that I learned most, I think, uh, is don't go so heavily on... as sas scores because we were all i believe we were all at the reversal event and i took my lowest sas and it actually was a good deck and i i knew it was a good deck because i played on the crucible and i went a lot with it but being my lowest sas i am like okay it's it's got to be bad in some ways that i'm not seeing so i'll take it and i only beat it once
0: yeah, I I think I think there's definitely uh, a lot of truth to that, and uh, I think we should maybe save this topic for for the future because going into evaluating decks yeah. and using the the current metrics out there and how do we utilize them is something we would like to talk about further because I I think that alone is a is a huge discussion. Yeah, it,
2: oh, definitely, it would it will be.
1: All right, pals. Very excited to get to place Mage of Ascension with you coming up very soon and very excited to record a future episode of Help from Future Self. My name is Alex. I'm I'm
0: Rick. I'm Blake. And
1: we'll talk to you soon.